I like that thought. I choose to be in love with you. You know, we have that choice, and so often we make choices, and some are good, but one of the best choices we can ever make is to love the Lord. In fact, I think it's the best choice you can make, and God blesses us through that, and so I think that's wonderful. If you have your Bibles, take them and turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, very famous passage in Scripture. As I mentioned uh, a couple of weeks ago, I'm going to start preaching through some of the parables, uh, messages from Jesus' messages. I think that's kind of the way I look to like, uh, like to look at it. We're told that when Jesus would uh, teach, about a third of all of his teaching was through parables or stories. And uh, possibly some of the most famous are found in the book of Luke, and certainly Luke 15. It's a story of uh, lost stuff, a lost lamb, a lost coin, uh, a lost son. And so the next four weeks we'll be talking about those areas. The, the fourth one is going to be the, the rebellious son and then the self-righteous son because both of them were lost and they didn't realize it. And I think sometimes that's where people are today, is that they don't realize where they are in relationship to God, or really don't care, and we're going to see that this morning as we look at our passage. But we're going to begin with Luke chapter 15, and I want to just, in, in introduction, read these first two verses, because it kind of sets the tone for our study. It says, now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to him to listen to him, uh, an interesting audience. You know, when you go to church, you usually think you get the righteous people there, the ones that kind of are walking with the Lord and where they ought to be. But when Jesus was speaking, it was tax collectors and sinners. And maybe those don't sound quite so bad to you. You know, you think, well, tax collector works for the IRS. This time of the year, you may not be real excited about those guys. But uh, I... Uh, we had a, a person that worked for the IRS in, in church earlier in my ministry, and he had been a pastor before that. Kind of an interesting mix, huh? And uh, he said there were people that really struggled with him because of his position, but they're, they're basically employees of the government doing the work that the government has formed to do. The thing is, when we go back to the time of Jesus, tax collectors were different than that. They were kind of independent contractors that worked for the Roman government, not for the Jewish government, not for the Hebrews. And, and their job was to go out and collect the taxes from all of the people or business taxes or whatever it was. And the way that they made their money was to get what Rome required and anything above that was theirs. And they really didn't care much about the people there. So if they could take a little old lady for a last nickel, that was fine. Uh, they were kind of thieves and shysters and uh, did whatever they could to get money. In fact, oftentimes they were considered to be spies for the Roman government. And, of course, uh, Rome was controlling Israel at that time, or Jerusalem at that time, Judea. And so the Romans were hated individuals, and as a result, tax collectors were kind of that way too. Sinners, uh, boy, who would fit into that category? <laughs> Probably most of us. Sinners, uh, they would look at the prostitutes. Uh, today we might look at the drug addict. We'd look at the person who is embezzling money. We would uh, look at anyone that is doing something that is outside of the will of God. They were people that had problems in their lives. 
Um, Non-religious people, maybe we just put them there, drug dealers. they're probably not the people we want to send our kids to go out and spend a lot of time with. Okay, if, you, if you're there looking for friends at school or wherever, we'd say that's, that's probably where you want to kind of draw the line. Those aren't the people that you want to spend your time with. And so as we go down to the second verse, it sets the tone for us. It says, and both the Pharisees, who were the religious people of the day, they were rather self-righteous. They saw themselves as religious. They kept the law. They studied the Bible Uh, which they had, the Old Testament and the scribes, and they began to grumble, saying, this man receives sinners, and he eats with them. And, you know, I I thought about it as I was reading and studying and going back over some other studies that people had, and I would imagine the Pharisees, in terms of Jesus, probably didn't mind his message so bad. Because, you see, Jesus... Uh, He believed in the supernatural, and the Pharisees believed in the supernatural. Their enemy, their political enemy, the Sadducees, basically didn't. And that made up the the chief priest and some of those individuals. Uh, They believed that God was working in the hearts and the lives of human beings, and Jesus did too. And so much of his message would correlate with what they believed. They, um, They believed in the inerrancy of Scripture. And Jesus certainly believed that in the Old Testament and the Scriptures. And so they were alike in a lot of different ways. But the problems they had with Jesus is that in this situation was that Jesus was meeting with the sinners and the publicans, the tax collectors, and they were coming and they were listening, and they probably thought that was good. You know, they need to get a little religion. They need to get a little of the right stuff. But then he would go with them. They would invite him and say, hey, why don't you come on over for dinner? And, and we're going to bring a few friends along, and we'd love to have you come and be part with us. And, you know, I'm sure they began to say, does he identify with them? Is he one of them? Is this a positive thing for a rabbi to be doing? He shouldn't be doing that. And so they struggled with Jesus, and he told them a story. Verse 3, he's told them this parable. Now, a parable is a story that shares a spiritual principle in this case. Parables were used all the time. They were used by the Greeks. They were used by the Romans. Uh, We use them today. Illustrations in a sermon to give you a point would be like a parable. It's a story that gives, uh, in this case, a spiritual truth that you want to get a hold of. And so Jesus would oftentimes speak in parables. In fact, I mentioned that uh, he probably about a third of his messages were in parables. They were in stories. How many of you like a good storyteller? Yeah, a few of you. That's who Jesus was. He liked to tell those stories, and people would get a hold of it. And then he would bring it home and say, this is the truth. And sometimes it would point out negative truths. If you go back into the Old Testament, you remember when David had a relationship with Bathsheba. And he had sinned, and he was in the wrong, and there was a prophet by the name of Nathan that came to bid David and he says I want to tell you there's a problem in the kingdom there's a man that has done a very wicked thing he says a man who's a great landholder and he has all kinds of flocks and sheep and he had a friend come to his house and and he wanted to give a feast for him but he didn't want to use one of his sheep so he went down to a neighbor who had only one little ewe lamb and he took that lamb and he slaughtered it for their feast 
and he took that which the man had. He loved that little lamb. And David was incensed. If you remember that story, David was incensed. He couldn't believe it that someone in his kingdom would do such a terrible thing. And Nathan looked him in the eye and he said, David, you're the man. You with Bathsheba, you're the man. See, parables will, will bring about those stories. Sometimes Jesus used parables himself so he would hide certain truths, it says, from those who were not able to really receive what he had for them, but they would be truths that would carry over and his disciples would get them. And so they would hear these stories. And so we want to kind of look at these stories. We want to get an idea of what they say. And, and a parable, as one person put it, is kind of like a, uh, a novel, uh, a mystery novel. And you have to get the points in the parable to understand what the speaker is telling you. And so as we come into our story this morning, it's the story of the lost sheep uh, up through verse 7 here in Luke chapter 15. Uh, and, and so we want to pull out some of those principles. So anyway, as we come to this, I, I want to read the passage for you. We're going to begin here with verse 4 and go down through verse 7, and then we'll kind of break it down a little bit and get an idea of what are some of the clues, what are some of the things that tell us what this parable is saying. Because remember, he's speaking to the Pharisees. He's speaking to the scribes. He wants them to understand the truth of why he spends time with the people he spends time with. Why does Jesus see tax collectors and prostitutes and other individuals that defame the name of God. Why does he spend time with them? Let's begin at verse 4. It says, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and he's lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which was lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep, which was lost. I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. As you begin to look at this story, you begin to break down the individuals that are part of it and, and what part do they play, and certainly you want to know what the sheep's all about. What is this little sheep that goes out and gets lost in the wilderness? Why, why did Jesus speak of him? And if that's the case, you need to know a little bit about sheep. Now, most of you have probably never had a sheep. Any, how many of you here have had sheep? One, two, three. Okay, well, we got this. You three people will understand everything I'm talking about. Uh, the rest of us hidden from you, kind of like Jesus would use parables. So I'm going to explain about sheep. When, uh, when I was young, I had a couple of sheep. I was probably in my first year or so of high school. And then later on, uh, the way I won my wife's heart was the uh, first present I ever gave her was a lamb. And she loved that lamb dearly. Uh, loved it more than me, I think, to begin with. But uh, I won her over as we put it in the locker and had it for uh, our first year of marriage, right? Yes. And so here was little Zacchaeus. But sheep are, they're not like a lot of animals. Uh, they love the shepherd. They love the one who cares for them. They like the safety 
uh, they're animals that really can't defend themselves very well. So they need a shepherd. They need someone to watch over them or something to watch over them. And as a result, what I noticed about my sheep was they didn't run off very far. It wasn't like they wanted to get away from me. They might wander because they were looking for grass or something else. They become kind of self-absorbed. But they, they don't wander away. Um, we had a couple dogs. I had a dog by the name of uh, Lancer was our first one, wasn't he? And Darlene made me raise him along with two Pekingese. And so he, he never really understood he was a big dog. And when he would get out the door, he just wanted to run. He just wanted to get away. Sheep don't do that. And so to see a, a sheep lost up in the mountains in the wilderness was, was not the norm. They wouldn't do that on purpose. They would want to stay close and uh, be close to the shepherd. The reason they would wander would be because they would maybe have their head down and so intent on eating that they would pick a little grass here and a little grass there and a little grass here. The shepherd comes and they've wandered off behind some rocks or whatever just picking grass. They aren't paying attention where the flock is. And all of a sudden they wake up and they look around. They actually haven't sleep, but they look up and where's the flock? It's not there. Where's the shepherd? He's not there. And they're lost up on that wilderness. Sheep just wander that way. They, they don't plan to get lost. They, they just wander. I, I remember a sheep that we had and... He was eating grass in our field. I had a double-strand barbed wire fence. And you see, the, the steer that we had in there couldn't go through that fence. It was, it was too big to get through, but that sheep came along, and he had all this wool on his back, and he saw some green grass over on the other side, and he said, oh, I'll go through, and he went right through the fence, didn't bother him, and he just kept going until one of the neighbors called and said, your sheep's out. And we went and got him, and he came back in. But you see, they, they see something, and they're just so absorbed with what that is. They are self-absorbed, taking care of themselves, eating their food, and they get lost. And the thing about a lost sheep in the mountains is that they are in big trouble. Possibly when the shepherd took the flock down, night was near. A sheep up there at night might fall off of the edge of a cliff and die. They may catch their feet in a rock and break a leg. But worse than that, when the shepherd's gone and they realize they're alone, they're not like a dog that can follow a trail. They just kind of run back and forth and they begin to bleat, to cry out. Because they're lost and there's no one there to take care of them. And that may be the worst thing the sheep can do. Because a predator, when they hear that, know that the animal's in trouble. And they move in for the kill. So a sheep that is lost in the mountains is in trouble. Darlene had that little lamb named Zacchaeus. And one day, Darlene and I, we weren't married yet, but uh, we were at her parents' place where the lamb was, and we left him in the backyard because we figured he'd stay right there, and we went out a little later, and he was gone. Zacchaeus, where are you? And Darlene began to cry, and 
or you didn't cry. You cried out. You cried out. That's right. I'll get that right. Anyway, she began to call for Zacchaeus, and we couldn't find him. We went around to the front of the house, and she was calling Zacchaeus. She went out, and they had a gravel road that went down to the paved road down below, and she cried, and we heard this little lamb way down the road. And he turned towards us, and he was bleating, and he was crying as a lamb will, and he began to run as fast as he could because he wasn't looking to run away. In fact, to get down to that road may have been very dangerous for him. But he came as fast as he could, and he just bounced all around Darlene. He was so excited because his shepherdess was there. And that's the way it is for people who wander away. They become rather self-absorbed. They're all about what they're doing. Jesus wasn't simply speaking of, of lost sheep. He was talking more about the tax collectors and the sinners and the prostitutes and the addicts and the housewife and the businessman that's become so consumed with his business he doesn't have time for the Lord or spiritual things. The athlete whose career has now ended and he goes, what do I do with my life now? It's empty. You see... Eventually, people wake up from their involvement, and they may not know which way to go. They're not the ones who will normally come to church, but there's an emptiness. They're like those sheep, and the world's full of people like that. Some are poor. Some don't have very much. Some are in a a homeless situation. Others are extremely wealthy. Others have accomplished all they set out to accomplish and they're now 40 years of age and they say, where do I go today? What do I do now? Maybe some of you have experienced that in your lives. It's like that. Where do we go? It's a hard thing. There was a song as we're talking about the sheep and those who have fallen away. They they haven't really fallen away. They've just never been there. They didn't see a need for God. They didn't see a need for spiritual things. They were absorbed with doing all of the things they wanted to do rather than what he wanted. There was a song by uh, Peggy Lee. Probably most of you do not know her. She, uh, she sang in the 50s and 60s. 69, she had a famous song, and I want to read it for you because to me it is an extremely sad song. I listened to it on the radio the other night, or on my radio, that's way back there, that's where you would listen to Peggy Lee, on my computer, and uh, it was, she had been filmed probably in a nightclub singing this, and most of it she speaks, and then she sings the chorus, she was a lounge singer, says, I remember when I was a very little girl, our house caught on fire, I'll never forget the look on my father's face as he gathered me up in his arms and he raced through the burning building and out to the pavement. And I stood there shivering in my pajamas, watching the whole world go up in flames. And when it was over, I said to myself, is that all there is to a fire? Is that all there is? Is that all there is? Well, if that's all there is, my friends, let's, then let's keep dancing. Let's break out the booze and have a ball if that's all there is. When I was 12 years old, my father took me to a circus. 
Oh, it's the greatest show on earth. There were clowns and elephants and dancing bears and a beautiful lady in pink tights, and she flew high above our heads. And so as I sat there watching the marvelous spectacle, I had the feeling that something was missing. I don't know what, but when it was over, I said to myself, is that all there is to the circus? Is that all there is? Is that all there is? If that's all there is, my friends, then let's keep dancing. Let's break out the booze and have a ball, if that's all there is. Then I fell in love. Oh, head over heels in love with the most wonderful boy in the world. We would take long walks by the river and just sit for hours gazing into one each other's eyes. We were so very much in love. And then one day he went away, and I thought I'd die. But I didn't. When I didn't, I said to myself, is that all there is to love? Is that all there is? Is that all there is? If that's all there is, my friend, then let's keep dancing. And then she breaks off and she says, oh, I know what you must be saying to yourselves. If that's all the way she feels about it, why doesn't she just end it all? Oh, no, not me. I'm not in a hurry for that final disappointment. For I know just as well as I'm standing here talking to you, when that final moment comes, I'll, and I'm breathing my last breath, I'll say to myself, is that all there is? Is that all there is? If that's all there is, my friends, then let's keep dancing. Let's break out, break out the booze and have a ball. If that's all there is. And I thought, how depressing. What a depressing song. It was popular, 69, 70. And I watched that video as she was singing, and the audience in that room broke into applause. How many people are like that lost sheep who simply says, if that's all there is, Keep dancing. Break out the booze and have a ball. Let's have another trip. Let's have another cruise. Let's go on another vacation. Let's go to dinner once more. Let's. And they live for all of the events without having anything of depth in their lives because that's all there is. The second clue that we find in this parable. It's not about the sheep, but it's about the shepherd. The heart of the shepherd. The shepherd really represents Jesus and his relationship with us. It says, what man among you, if he has a hundred sheep, here he is, and he's lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open pasture. That's they aren't down in the sheepfold. They're not in a protected area. They are out probably in a kind of open pasture area in the wilderness. Maybe there are other shepherds with their sheep that are there. Maybe there's more than one. We don't know. There may be only the one shepherd, but he knows if he leaves his sheep, they'll stay together as a flock. There's 90 and 9, and he goes after the one which is lost 
until he finds it. And when he has found it, it lays it on his shoulders and comes home rejoicing. So let's say you have 99 sheep and you're out in the wilderness and you don't know what's out there and one is lost. You see, the shepherd would go out in the morning and he would count his sheep. He knew how many he had. And then as he came back in that night, he would count them. He'd probably say, stand still. I can't count you. One, two, three. It's kind of like counting little kids in a big room. One, two, three. And they're going every which way. And he finally got to the end and he went, 99. It's that little sheep. He's always wandering away. Why isn't he here? Where is he? I, I, I need to find him. Or would you be one if you were in that position to say, 99's important. If I go, what happens to the 99 just to catch this one little sheep? He really isn't that important. He doesn't matter that much. He's not worth that much. I, uh, I came up with a, a rather poor illustration. But let's say you, uh, because I doubt you have 100 sheep. You haven't been out looking at them. But let's say you have $100. You know what you've got there. You've got $100. You go into a restaurant. You sit down, and you're, you're counting through your bills, and all of a sudden you have $99. One's missing. Where's that dollar that's missing? Where could it be? Well, let me ask you this. Do you think you would leave the 99 sitting on the table while you go out to pr- go back where you were? I don't think so. I wouldn't. I'd say, okay, I'm down $1. That wasn't the way with this shepherd. You get the picture. He looked at the situation and he said, I have to find the sheep. The the little lamb is in trouble. He knew what it would be like on the mountain if he didn't go. And so he leaves his 99 and he goes. When you reach the lost, the sinner, the tax collector, the drug addict, the businessman who has reached the point in his business where he realized he's come to the end of what he's going to do. He's reached his goals and there isn't anything to go anymore. The housewife that's home with the kids saying, there's got to be more. I can't believe it. All I'm doing is talking a little kid talk all day. My husband comes home and he wants to watch the game instead of talk. There's got to be more. What do... You do. He, he went up to find those that had a need. If you're going to do that, you have to leave something and go where the one is that's lost. And you see, that's what the shepherd did. That's what Jesus did for us. When Jesus came to find you, he came to find me, and that's really what it was. We can take it down to individuals. He, he left his home in glory. The Bible said he laid aside his deity to become a man so that he could reach us. Because you see, we're the ones that are lost. In Philippians chapter 2, in the verse 6 and 7th verse, it talks about what Jesus did. I actually want to go down to verse 5. It says, have this attitude in yourselves, which is also was also in Christ Jesus. You be like Jesus. You have the same attitude he had. You be willing to do the same thing he did. That's really what it's saying. It says, who, although he existed in the form of God, he was God, 
He did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, to be held on to tightly, but he emptied himself. He laid aside his rights as God, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. You see, Jesus left heaven. The only way you find the lost sheep is to leave the flock and go where the lost one is. The only way we reach people is to leave where we are and go to where they are, to minister to them, to uh, care about their needs and, and what they're going through and share the word with them. I thought about Jesus with the tax collectors. And this was the thing that the Pharisees had such a problem with because he... He went and he ministered to these people, and they were spies. They were the enemy. And you remember when he was on his way to Jerusalem. It was the last time he was going up for the, for, uh, before he went to the cross, going up for the last Passover meal. And on his way, he passed through the town of Jericho. It was down in the, in the bottom lands by the uh, Jordan River, and it was kind of almost... Uh, a resort-type place from everything I read. And, and, and the weather was warm, and it was a place where people liked to go and stay, and he came through there. And there was a tax collector there by the name of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was uh, small in stature, but he held a position of authority among tax collectors. And he wanted to see Jesus. He had heard about this man that accepted tax collectors. He had heard about this man who ministered to those who were outcasts that were not accepted, and and here Jesus was coming. And so he ran just as everybody else ran to see him. And I'm sure he kind of got in that crowd. Have any of you gone to a parade and you get behind everybody else and you just can't see over? Yeah, I have. You want to get there early and sit on the curb because you can't see it otherwise. And so, so you're, uh, you're back there behind and he was probably running along and people were lining up and he got up ahead and he did something that was very uncharacteristic for the cool guy, the tax collector, the guy who felt he had it all together. He climbed up in a tree. That was for little kids, not for tax collectors and people of responsibility. But he said, this is the only way I'm going to see Jesus. And I'm sure he was hoping nobody was looking up, that they were all looking at Jesus until Jesus got there. We used to have a little song. It talked about Zacchaeus up in the tree. And Jesus looked up at him and he said, Zacchaeus, come down. Because I'm going to go to your house today. I'm going to spend time with you today. And it changed and transformed his life. Because you see, Jesus went where they were. He found them when they were in the situation where no one else accepted them. And they may have wanted to be accepted, and they may have wanted to be part, but it wasn't there. There was another one by the name of Matthew. You know the story of Matthew. Possibly he was the one who wrote the book of Matthew, but he was a tax collector there in Capernaum, close to the Sea of Galilee. People would travel through there, and as they went by, they went by his tax lot, the booth that he had there, and they would have to pay taxes on their goods and Jesus stopped and he looked at him. I'm sure he'd, sure he'd seen Jesus before and he'd heard his message, but he stopped and he looked at him and he said, Matthew, follow me. His name was Levi at that point. Follow me. 
and he left that tax booth and he followed him. Today we're called to do the same thing Jesus does. To go where those are who maybe were just not thinking much. They're just not caught up with spiritual things. Well, you know, what's the importance of it? They're making a living from day to day. They're making enough money to pay the bills. They go do something fun once in a while. Maybe they have a big vacation once a year. And that's kind of what life's about. They save a little for retirement. So that when they're retired, they can go do the fun things they've wanted to. And that's life. They... Uh, They might say at times, is this all there is? This is all there is, then let's keep dancing. Break out the booze and have a ball. Because we don't have much to look forward to. We're not sure where we're going. You see, if we don't build relationships, they don't have a chance to come in. They're the lost sheep. I remember two young men, I'll call them Paul and Norm. They were brothers, and they were in high school. And they were playing ball. They were on a, One of them was on the basketball team with two other brothers. And they were playing together, and they built a strong relationship. Now, Paul and Norm didn't have much background in terms of spiritual things. Those weren't important to them. They were getting their grades. They were playing ball. They were having a good time. They were spending time with their friends until these two individuals built a relationship with them. And invited them to come to church. And they came to know the Lord. And it changed their lives. They were the lost sheep. Nothing spectacular. They weren't what we would call bad sinners. In fact, they were pretty good guys. Their sister came to know the Lord. Their mother came to know the Lord. It changed their family. Because two boys who played ball with them built a relationship with them. We have to go where they are. We have to share where they are. That's really part of what it's all about. You may be working with people. You may live next door to people. You, you may have people that you meet at soccer or wherever your kids are, and you build a relationship with them. Do you build it with the idea that, boy, I sure want to share Jesus with them? Not to push it down their throat, but to see it through my life and talk about it when the opportunities are there. I met a person last night uh, in one of our stores, and uh, he said, well, what are you doing for the rest of the night? I said, I have to go study. He says, study? He says, what are you getting ready for? You're writing a paper? I said, no, I'm a pastor, and immediately he changed his whole thought process. Oh, where do you pastor? And I told him. I said, you go to church in the area? Well, I've tried a bunch of different ones, but not much. I gave him my card, and he says, I'll try and come. You see, we go where they are. That's the job. That's what Jesus did. The third thing about this parable, and I want you to just pick it up very quickly in, uh, in the last couple of verses, verse 6 and 7. It says, and when he had come... Home. Well, I want to I do something else. I, I want to go back up to verse 5 just for a moment. It says, he found him and he lays it on his shoulders. And I think it's interesting that Jesus did not all of a sudden scold at you, bad, bad sheep. You're a sinner. You've blown it. You've messed up. 
be very easy to do that. But instead, look what he did. He found it. He drew it to himself. He put it up on his shoulders, hung his feet down over the front across his chest, and took it home. It isn't to condemn people. If we condemn people, we miss the point of what Jesus did. Because he didn't go around condemning people. He went around accepting and loving people. And that's where we need to be. And then it goes on here and it says, and when he comes home, he gets home with his little sheep, he gets back to his 99, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I found my sheep. He didn't condemn the sheep. He said, let's rejoice. And I love that whole picture there of rejoicing because you find what's lost And then he says, I tell you that in the same way, and this is the amazing thing right here, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. um, I've always thought that that was about the self-righteous Pharisees. It was talking about that they don't rejoice over the self-righteous Pharisees because They already consider themselves righteous and there isn't real joy over that. But it doesn't say that. It says they rejoice over the lost sinner who is found more than over the 99 who are already righteous. How do we become righteous? There's only one way. It's through a relationship with Jesus Christ. God makes us righteous. We do not become righteous in and of ourselves. These would be the people who were already believers, if that's what it literally says. And so there's rejoicing in heaven over the one person who repents and changes his life more than the others. Does God rejoice over you and I as believers? Absolutely. Is he... Does he minister to us and care about us and love us? Yes. But you know what it says in heaven? They really rejoice when someone comes from the point of they not, do not know Jesus Christ who they do. I often wondered, or I haven't often wondered, I thought about it this week as I was reading this, do they ring a bell when everybody comes, someone becomes a Christian? Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, we have a party. I'll tell you what, they have a party in heaven. And I would encourage you to think back when you received Jesus Christ. Were you a lost sinner? How did you receive him? Did someone come and draw you in? Did God use that person? You may have grown up in the church and you received the Lord as a small child. Possibly you came to church as a non-believer and you found that there was a need to have a relationship with him and you committed your life to him. But if you came some other way, someone reached out to you, they came to where you were. Maybe it was a school friend. You're in public school. And you made a relationship. You build a relationship because God says we go there and you bring them in. Maybe it's someone you work with. Maybe it's someone you've worked with and you've been sharing for two, three, four years. God sent you to that lost person and you brought him in. But you see, there's the messages that we go. And when we go and a person comes to know Jesus Christ, there's rejoicing in heaven. The parable had to do with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They didn't understand all of this. It was strange to them. 
And they rejected Jesus because he accepted the ones they rejected. We, like Jesus, need to accept the ones that are lost. You know, I would encourage you to think about maybe people you know outside that you just build a relationship with. We sometimes build such strong ones in the church that we don't have the relationships outside. But think about how God would use you to do something like that. The lost sheep. The one who just wasn't thinking about God. And yet God drew him in. Let's pray, shall we? Father, I look at this parable, and certainly Jesus is speaking to us as he shares about this lost lamb, because so often we, <laughs> we can very easily look at people that maybe aren't right where we are and pull away instead of reaching out in love. Help us to love like Jesus. Help us to accept like Jesus did. The parable's for us. The message is for us. So many people are simply saying, is that all there is to life? I get up, I go to work every day, I come home. I go to bed, I get up, and I go to work, and I come home. And I pay the bills, and we've got a house, and we've got a car, and we go on vacation. But is that all there is? Oh, Lord, there is so much more. So much more. And I pray that each person here would know that this morning. If there's someone here that doesn't understand that relationship, they would find it to be true for them. If there's someone here like that lost sheep, then maybe they're Christians and they're just wandering away into life on earth. And they really don't stop to think much about God. Father, draw them in. And Father, if there are people in our relationships that need to know you. Help us to reach out to them in the love of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for what you teach us about the sheep that was lost, who'd gone astray. All of us are like sheep. We've gone astray, it says. We've each turned to his own way. But Jesus came and draw us in, to draw us in. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.